0: How's everybody? How many of you have uh, had the nasty flu that's gone around? Yeah, you're here, you still survive, thank you, in the back row. Yeah, there's been several people, many, many people are struggling with that, but we're here and we're thankful that you're here, and a week from Easter, which is just going to be a wonderful week next week, two services, 9.30 and 11.30, Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. How many of you would pride yourself on having a good comeback? Like somebody says something, if you're Alex Palmer, he comes back with a good pun. Like really good, actually a really bad pun. But the ones that make you laugh. And I I like to have those good comebacks. This week, uh, not just the puns, but just generally. Uh, I was in uh, the school here that we have, Regent Christian Academy. And I saw a little boy and he said, Pastor! you have a beard. Not only do you have a beard, you got a new haircut. I was like, yes, I did. And then he says, but it looks like a monk. (laughs) I was like, I, I had no comeback. I just had to walk away. Like I really wanted to say something to him, but he's 10. So I had to just leave it. Some kids speak truth that I don't want to hear. I went away, I I texted his mom, and I thought that maybe he'd get in trouble. She laughed. I don't know. But but sometimes you've got nothing to offer, nothing to give back. For example, if all you had was boys in your family and suddenly you're going to have a daughter, you got nothing. You sit down in university and you look, look at a test and you say, I got nothing. That's a scary moment. We were in the car once uh, traveling, Shanda and I, with my parents, and my niece was sitting in the back seat. We were going to a Christmas uh, concert. And uh, I, I have a weak stomach when people make loud, strange noises, like kind of gaggy. Uh, if I smell something, that's off, uh, all kinds of things. Then I, um, I'm what's called a sympathy vomiter. So, I, I, you know, and you know, laugh with those who laugh, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I vomit with those who vomit. So, <laughs> we were driving along, and like some of you who experienced this last little so while, having that flu, my niece suddenly started making some squawky noises. I can feel it in my throat right now. <laughs> Don't go too far. And suddenly, she just starts letting, letting loose everything that was within her, praising the Lord. And, no, that wasn't with that. Let everything that was within her. It was all over here. My dad stops the car. I leap out of the car. My mother leaps out of the car because that's where I inherited this from. And we're standing outside the car, leaving Shanda and my dad inside there. I'm like, I got nothing. I've got nothing. I'm going to walk the rest of the way because it's, I'm about to lose it. I got nothing to offer you right now. And so I had to, like, step away from it, strong gag reflexes. I, when I go to the dentist, I go an hour ahead of time. They give me half of a little pill because they're afraid of being bitten by me because I, I got a gag reflex. That's the kind I have. I got nothing. I also get motion sickness very easily. So when we go to places like Disneyland or where the amusement park rides are at, and, and my kids, when they were young, would say, Hey, Dad, would you go on this ride with me? I think your mom should go. They're like, Dad. No, I think I really want you to. I think your mom should go. Leave it. I'm going to be here praying. (laughs) Your mom is insured as well, so it's okay. So I wouldn't go on rides. I wouldn't. I've got nothing for you. And some of us, when your car breaks down, you've got nothing except BCAA. Some of you, like Pastor Mike, when his wife leaves town, he's got nothing except Pizza Hut on speed dial. (laughs) Got nothing. And sometimes, when it comes to the concept of what we've been talking about, this plus one, where we look at this uh, thought that all of us in our life have somebody that needs to know who Jesus is, and maybe you're one of those ones who are here this morning. You've been invited by somebody that, and we believe that everybody needs to know Jesus. But sometimes we get around that, and we feel like I've got nothing. Got nothing to offer. I'm, maybe it's from the perspective of I'm too bad. If you really knew my life, if you knew my story, if you knew what I've been through, that, or if people figured out what I've been through, I've got no place to offer or ask anybody else to be a part of, to be my plus one. Cause, and so we say nothing. Or maybe we feel like we're too good. This, is, this was me. I grew up in a Christian home. And I, I would go to youth rallies and things when I was a kid and invariably they'd get somebody up who to share a testimony from some place. And, and he was like, I've been in a gang for 28 years and I've murdered nine people and i and I and stolen cars and everything like that and, and Jesus saved me and, and God helped me and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, yay, thank God. But I think, wow, well, I don't really have much of a story to tell. And so then we close up our mouth because we're like comparing our story to someone else's and say, I've got nothing, I've got nothing. And so we leave up plus one to the few, the few who are bold and will ask somebody, or maybe they're the super evangelist, but not me. And the goal of the enemy very often is to minimize you and to stop you believing that God sees you, that God knows your story, that God's invaded your story, and God's done stuff in your life. You have no, nothing to offer. You have no story to tell. And why don't you just be quiet? You've got nothing. You've got, you can't be used of God. Your story doesn't matter. You've got nothing. And I want to tell you a story that out of the Bible today that I believe will shift your perspective, or I hope it will, because this is probably one of the great issues of the church is that churches grow when people come to Jesus when friends invite their friends. That's what happens. When friends in their life share what Jesus is doing in their life. It's very rare. It does happen. I know some of you in the room. It's very rare that someone just randomly shows up at, at a church or comes to your home or anything. They're usually there because of personal invitation. How many of you made a step towards Jesus because somebody invited you to something? Right? How many of you? Yeah, look around. Lots of you. Somebody took the step to invite you. Somebody took the step to see you as more than a, per, than a number, but saw your name and your story. We're going to go into John chapter 4. This is Jesus speaking. He wanted to go from the south of the country up to the north. And nor ordinarily, they did not want to go through this place called Samaria. We'll talk about that in a moment. But every place that it's uh, bolded, I want you to say that strong with me. This is Jesus. Now he... The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In fact, that word do not associate means they don't even eat off the dishes that they've eaten off of. They, they just are separate. And Jesus in the story is our ideal. He's the hero of the story. He's the ideal one that we look to get our cues from who we follow. The Samaritan woman is actually more what all of us are like or have been like at various st- uh, places and spaces in our life. And it's interesting that it says that Jesus had to go. am just going to touch on a couple things before we get going. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go. We don't, it doesn't say why he had to go. It didn't say because he had an appointment to get to. It doesn't say because he felt an inner compulsion. Or we can speculate on it for various reasons. It doesn't tell us. But here we are. I think I just want to make one small point out of that. Don't underestimate what God wants to do in your have-tos. There are so many places in our life that we endure and try to get through. We have to do it, and we might miss out moments where God wants to invade your life and work through you in a way that will surprise you. You might say, I have to go to work, but God might have an appointment for you that you're not aware of right now. I have to go to university, but God might have an appointment for you that you're not aware of right now. I have to go to the doctor, but you, God might have a, a something that he wants to do with you in that moment. We might think we have to move, but God might have something better for us on the other side of a have to. And so I've taken a position in my life that very few things are because I have to. There are the position of my life is when I follow Jesus, there are not things that I have to do. I am expecting that God will work through and do something more than I can think or imagine because he's leading my life. So I can go through life. I have to do this. I have to do that. Oh, oh, oh. And my attitude can shift. But if I can begin to see yes i have to do that but what could god be arranging in front of me jesus was just had to go through samaria and G- and god had an appointment for him just because you don't see something in the have to moment doesn't mean that god doesn't have something for you it just means you can't see it yet jesus changed our perspective perhaps when god is leading your life every have to can become a get to N- next it says he was tired don't underestimate what Jesus can do in your life when you're tired. How many of you have ever been tired in the last week? Yeah, come on. I said this to a pastor friend of mine, and, and many of his leaders are young, and they, they will phone him not long before something starts and say, I can't be there because, man, I, I'm, I've got a midterm tomorrow, and I'm really tired, and I want to be ready for that. Like you just found that out just now. Like, no, you've known that since January. Or, I stayed out really late last night, so I know I committed to be there today, but I'm super tired. If we only did stuff when we weren't tired, how many of you know you wouldn't have a lot done in your life? (laughs) Jesus models for us, again, that in our weakness... His strength is perfected. So when I don't feel adequate, when I don't feel strong enough, doesn't mean that I'm not a candidate for God to use me and, and put me on a different appointment than I believe. That I, Yeah, but I'm under stress about this. And I, and I step into from the get-to to the have-to, and then I move into, yes, I'm tired, but God, who, who can move things in a powerful way, I step into those spaces and say, God, use me. And the Bible says this, don't become weary and well-dewy, for in due season you will reap if you don't give up. Giving up is uh, often the, thing, the only thing that will stop you from seeing what God has for you. We stop just before we, uh, the breakthrough that God has. I'm tired, so we quit. I'm, I'm discouraged, so I quit. And I get all that. But in the moment, Jesus was tired, but he still had time for a conversation. Because sometimes God has an appointment that we're not aware of. I sometimes will sit down in an airplane and travel a little bit, and I put on my noise-canceling earphones. Shanda and I were coming back from somewhere, I forget where it was, and there was a lady sitting between us, and I had my earphones on. I canceled the noise, and I looked at her, and her mouth was moving. And I was like, what's going on? Like, I have these, like, big headphones. They're not, like, little ones like this, big ones like my ear. And she's looking at me, and her mouth is moving. I'm like, yes? What do you want? And she's just talking, didn't even stop, mouth moving. I put them back on, her mouth kept moving. I was trying to test. Like, would it work? There are some people who don't pick up the cues that I was tired. And then I finally took them off and just chatted with her, and she felt better for her day, and God honed my character in that moment tired as he was. And also it says he was on a journey. He was going somewhere. He had an agenda. He was going from something to something. How many of you know that when you're going from something to something and you don't have enough time, what will the lights be? Red. And pretty much every one of them will be red. Or you'll get behind that guy who's going on a Sunday drive on Thursday. 42 kilometers an hour. Bro, it's 60, I know. Uh, You're from Manitoba, but we can do this. 65, come on. He was on a journey. And sometimes when... God will interrupt our journeys that we might feel like we're on a detour, but we're actually on an expressway in God's plan. And we might think that God has missed something, but God is actually redirecting your life in a way that there's an appointment that he has for you. There's a way that he wants to use you. There's a way that he wants to speak through you. And you will miss it if you just say, I'm on a detour and I'm going to try and get through this as fast as I can. No, I don't have to. Yes, I'm tired. And I know that I'm on a journey journey, but God's on a journey with me, and he's able to put a stop sign in front of me in my life sometimes. He's sometimes able to redirect my life because his purposes are higher than mine. Just three little things out of there for free. When you're tired, don't quit. There is no have-to in God. It's always a get-to. And then finally, you might be on a journey, but that feels like a detour, but trust and continue to follow God. All that for free. So, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? We read this in 2019, and from our perspective, it's not that strange. It's like at a restaurant. Will you give me a drink? But that's not what was happening. Jesus was violating nearly every social convention that he could in that moment. A man talking to a woman who didn't have her brother or her husband with her, which is like in many cultures of the world still today. Jews did not talk to Samaritans. They felt they were pure, and the Samaritans weren't. She was the wrong religion. She was the wrong culture. In fact, most Jewish teachers of of that day would go hungry or thirsty rather than take something or ask something from a Samaritan, let alone a woman. And the barriers Jesus was crossing were Jesus was willing to cross the gender barrier to reach somebody. Jesus was willing to cross the racial barrier to reach somebody. Jesus was willing to cross the cultural barrier to reach somebody. Jesus was willing to cross every social barrier to reach someone. Because the barriers that we construct are often only in our mind, but they still put a barrier between people and Jesus. The enemy tries to build walls between people that mean nothing to Jesus. Jesus is so absolutely committed to reaching people that he will go past the label. He goes after people that too often we might write off. We might write off our nasty neighbor as too far gone for God, or we hope he is. We might write off our LGBTQ community. Jesus is not writing them off. Jesus is not writing off six to eight thousand refugees from the Middle East in our city that have a different faith, many of them, and a different culture. Jesus is not writing off the poor and the vulnerable. Jesus is not writing off the rich and the powerful. There is no barrier of man or human construct that stands between Jesus and the city. There is no barrier that people will rise up and put between God that Jesus does not try to find a way around. He doesn't try, not try to to go over. He's trying to go under. He's trying to break through because Jesus absolutely loves and is committed to people that we might have written off. Jesus sees people. He doesn't see labels. When people are walking out, he's leaning in. He saw someone that needed life. He doesn't drop you like you're hot. He isn't saying, my, my, my. He saw someone that needed hope. He didn't see her religion. He saw somebody who needed salvation. He reached across barriers. He tears down barriers. He's a great unifier of people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every citizen, every refugee, every new immigrant, every person who's a different color than you, every person. Jesus is reaching across barriers, and he's asking us to reach across barriers that might be in our own mind, in our own practice, in our lives. In this moment, Jesus models this incredible conversation where he attempts to bridge the gap that is between them. She's a woman. He's a man. She's Samaritan. He's Jewish. He's a teacher. She seems like to be a nobody. And you can't influence a table you're not at. You can't shift a perspective without a conversation. Sometimes prayer... Not sometimes. Prayer is a necessary response, but it's not the only response. Jesus answered in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, everybody say, gift of God. That means it's free. And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Ah, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them like a spring of well, water welling up to eternal life. The woman is like, this sounds like really good. sir. "'Give me this water so I won't get thirsty "'and have to keep coming here to draw water "'twice, three times a day.' "'He told her, "'Go call your husband.' "'We were just talking about water. "'Go call your husband.' And come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have right now is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. So the conversation going along. She's thinking there's water, and then suddenly Jesus is talking about some living water, like magic water that you will drink, and it'll, okay, I'm just tracking with that. I really want that. And then he starts asking her about her husband and family. Like, where is Jesus going with this conversation? He wants to draw her attention to you don't have to be thirsty again. He's not talking about the thirst of your body. He's talking about the thirst of your soul. And so he will turn the conversation from natural things to supernatural things in a moment. That's a spiritual conversation. Jesus shifts it because he's not talking about that. He says there's a gift. The Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. There's a gift. There's a, there's a wage that we get paid if we don't respond to Jesus, and His death. But if we respond to Jesus, and that's the good news of the gospel, the gift of God is eternal life that begins immediately. God changes our every day and our one day when we stand before him. Because a life apart from God ultimately leads to an eternity apart from God. That's what's at stake for each and every one of us. Two ways to look at this this moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, we can never lose sight of the fact that when Jesus came into your story, when Jesus came into your story, or when he became real in your story, when his love invaded your fear, we can never forget his goodness that has altered your life. Never forget how he delivered you from anxiety and fear. Never forget how he put you on a path to life and purpose. Jesus saw you. Jesus came near to you. Jesus came for you. He came to bring life and life abundantly. He came to bring purpose to your life. He came to bring power to your life. He came to still the storm inside your heart. Jesus came for you. And we can never forget that story and look at it through a lens of that somebody else. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the story right here, right now, and you're this woman. We can never forget what Jesus has done for us. Or if you're here and you don't know Jesus in the same way, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is interrupting your story this morning. You might think that the path is marked out for your life. You think that I've walked through this and I can see the end game here and maybe it's really good in your mind or maybe it's going to an end that you wish and never dreamed that it would go to. But in this moment, just like this woman, Jesus is saying, do you want a different ending to your story? Do you want the story that the chapter that you're in right now to be done? And Jesus begin to rip out some pages and begin to write a new story for you, begin to write a new ending for your life, begin to change the trajectory of your life because that's what Jesus came to do. He might be writing out some bad characters out of your story. He might be relieving you of some alcohol and some drugs. He might be coming into the place where you, per, where you continue to go after people to, to get approval and say, you don't need that approval. I've approved you. He might be doing things that really, literally redirect the story of your life. And Jesus suddenly then turns the conversation, where is your husband? And this is where many sermons have been preached about this bad woman who goes through husbands like some people go through a Netflix series. A loose woman. She's a prostitute. But in fact, i like to consider a different thought in this story that it's very unlikely that she is a loose woman or a prostitute. But when we look at it from our lens, she's had five women. She's a multiple divorcee, or she's a serial adulterer, or something like that. If she was a serial adulterer, she most likely would have been stoned. And that's not like that kind of stone. It's like pick up rocks and kill her. There are more likely explanations. She could have been divorced five times, but in that period of time, uh, women almost never could initiate divorce that was initiated by men who could initiate it by a simple thing like she burned my dinner i divorce you you're out for real or she may have already had five husbands die on her which sometimes would happen when a young woman would be married off to an old man whose wife had died and she would be maybe 15 years old and married off to an old man in that time and he would die, and then she would go marry uh, someone else and someone else. So more likely, commentators feel that she had either been thrown out of five marriages by men through divorce, or she had five husbands die on her. That's the more likely explanation of the story. So this is not someone who's hostile, someone who, who is just gone off in craziness. is someone in probably more than likely in deep pain. And the man she was now with, number six, she says was not my husband. Probably because she was like a black widow, and people are like, I, one, two, three, four, five, I don't know if I want to get married to her. She might carry something or put something in my food or what, I don't know. Or she had been divorced multiple times, and marriage was now next to impossible. Likely now she was what was called a concubine in those days, which was where men would take on these women and provide them with shelter and security in exchange for work and sex. And in extreme situations, when their wife could not have children or they just wanted more, you would also be expected to provide and turn over any children born to you. So she was unlikely what people write about this woman more likely a person whose story was in a place that she never dreamed it would be. Someone like you and like me who done stuff or had stuff happen to her and you're like, I don't know how I got in here and and secondly, I don't know how I'm ever gonna get out of here. What's gonna happen? And so when Jesus says, where's your husband? It's because he wants to turn the conversation. Your obvious need is not your deepest need. Everybody else might look at you and say that your need is that you you need a new husband. But there's something more it could be interpreted for us today is where is your hope coming from where is your security coming from where is your joy where is your eternity where is your peace where is your security a spouse might like seem like your need but you need a new life source jesus a job might seem like your deep need but you need a new life source that'll never fail you jesus Your bank account might seem like it needs to be bigger, but you actually need a new life source, Jesus. You might say, oh, I need more friends. Maybe you do, but that's not your deepest need. You need a new life source, Jesus. However, sometimes we might look at our friends or even our own life and say, well, I don't really have a need. But we're not always aware of what's going on in people's lives. We don't know the story behind the facade. We don't know what's going on when people lie down at night. We don't know what's going on when people walk through deep waters and we wonder, how are they getting through? We don't know what's happening in the lives of the plus plus one around us, our friend, our neighbor, our family member, our son or our daughter. And when we begin to see people as victims of sin and an enemy that that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, it changes the way we look at them. Instead of judging them, maybe compassion would come up within them. And like the Bible says that Jesus came to save, not to condemn. And if Jesus came to save, guess what? We should be be be-about. We should come with the same attitude and the same heart and the same desire and the same perspective. I don't come to condemn, I come to save. See, the tone of Scripture is that there is an enemy that is an oppressing people. People are not our enemy. Some people got there because of some bad choices. Some people got there and they don't even understand how they got in the place that they're in. Some people have never heard of the goodness of God and a Savior who loves them. That's the truth in our city. Some people that you sit in a cubicle beside, people that are your neighbors, people that might be in your family, but they are never our enemy. People are loved by God. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus is here to break oppression. Jesus is here to destroy the work of the the enemy in lives and families. Jesus is here offering heaven when what we're facing is hell. Jesus is about healing our brokenness and restoring our hope. Jesus is about setting captives free. Jesus is about saving, not condemning. recommend Jesus. There's a few verses later we see something incredible happen. In verse 26 and 27, the woman says this, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, everybody say come. Come. Let's try that one more time. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did could be the messiah could this be the messiah then they came out of the town and made their way towards him this is what is at stake jesus has interrupted your story because your story can change someone's destiny your story can change someone's destiny if you're a christ follower never lose fact of how much we need jesus never lose fact lose sight of the fact that Jesus pulled you and I out of the ditch so that we can help set somebody else on the pathway for their life. Never lose sight of the fact that what Jesus has done in your life, somebody else is waiting to have in their life. Never lose sight of the fact that your life has set, if you're a follower of Jesus, on a pathway to eternity where you're going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, come, enter into the, the presence of heaven, but that there are people who have no idea what you're talking about, no idea what you what is even going on around them, come see this Jesus, which means you have a story that's as powerful. She began with what she had, a story. Come see somebody who's made a difference in my life. Sometimes we feel like if we invite someone to church, we have to have all the answers for all the things in the Bible we don't understand. Because there's some things in the Bible I don't fully understand but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus came, died, rose again, and has changed my life from the inside out. That much I know. We don't have to have the answer. Was it six days of literal creation? Was it uh, periods of time, of long time? I don't know. Was it should we talk about global warming? I don't know. Like, Jesus is what I know. Come see the guy who's changed my life. Come see the, the God of heaven who's real and has made my life better and has changed the direction of my life. Because you know what? We do so many things because of the recommendation of other people. How many of you ever gone to a restaurant because someone said, that's a good restaurant to go? Yeah, of course we have. Statistics tell us, and studies have shown us, marketing, that 90% of us will make decisions for something based on a recommendation of somebody else that we know. Or 70% will do it based on an online uh, reviews. How many of you, before you go to that restaurant that your friend recommended, you double check? Right? One time we were going to, to drop uh, Elena off in Denver, and... Uh, we had to stay in a hotel one night, and my wife wanted one that was close and cheap. And, and so we rolled up to this hotel in Denver, and first of all, there was people just lounging about uh, outside, and we got in, and uh, there was, it was just that awkward, and the thing that kind of started to make me wonder was all the windows had bars on them in the hotel. And, when, and my kids used to tell, say this, when anytime you're in, a I think it was a motel, when the door's from the outside... That's a scary place to be. So we went in. Oh, Recommendation said it's not bad. You look at the pictures on the, on the website, and you're like, Is, that's not bad. But that picture could have been taken, in this case, like probably 18 years before. And they went in, and it smelled like smoke, and the toilet was broken. There was stuff on the door, the wall. And... I made the great decision that night. I am not getting under those covers. I kept all my clothes on, including my shoes. I put a towel on the bed where my head would touch, and I went to sleep like that. I was cold in the night, but no way was I getting under that blanket. You may call me a germaphobe. I call myself health aware. You need to see where the devil is trying to kill your life and take appropriate action. But that was a recommendation. I don't know who was making a recommendation. They probably paid somebody, I'll give you a discount. You mean like what, a discount? I won't call the police on you, so give me a review. Recommendation. But this woman was having a personal recommendation. Because I'll tell you what, everybody knew her story in her community. And she said, come see this Jesus who knows my whole story and he still loves me. What would it look like if we were the same where we begin to believe that your story can change someone's destiny? Now, it's most likely your story is most effective with somebody who looks like you. Like, my story is not going to be effective with somebody else that that has a totally different wavelength. But there are people that my story is effective with because they see me, they know me, they understand the, the life that I've lived, Come see this Jesus that broke the shame over your life. Your story has power. Come see this Jesus that gives me strength. Your story has power. Come see this Jesus that restored our marriage. Your story has power. Come see this Jesus that broke my addiction to pornography. Your story has power. Come see this Jesus that restored your family because your story has power. Come see this Jesus that brought hope to my life because your story has power. Come see this Jesus that brought me from death to life because your story has power. Don't underestimate the the power of your story because your story can change somebody's destiny. It's not insignificant. It's not less than. And where you might see one person, God sees an entire village turning, or a family turning, or a generation being changed. I'm so grateful for people in my life that turn to God. I'm so thankful that my dad, when I was 11 years old, turned to Jesus. And my life is better because of that. It's part of my story Your story can change someone's destiny. And then Jesus talks to his disciples as this is happening. Don't you have a saying? Wait, it's four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Another translation says, lift up your eyes. What does that mean? It means your eyes have been down. You've been looking at what's only right in front of you. And you can't see what is going on all around you, what God's doing. You might say that it's impossible for that person to turn. You might see that there's no way that if I invite that they will come. There's no way that if I tell my story that they will respond in any powerful way. But the perspective of heaven is dramatically different than your perspective. You might be looking only on what's going on in your life, what's going on around in here, right right in front of you. But God is saying, lift up your eyes. You might see a hardness, but I see hope. You might see somebody who wants nothing to do with it, but I see somebody who I'm moving along in the pathway of their life. You might see that, oh, my head is down. I'm discouraged, I don't think. But begin to look differently at your family. Begin to look differently at your friend. Begin to look differently at our city. That there's hope for our city. That the gospel is still powerful. That Jesus is still changing life. And that if you would get your friend into an environment where they're encountering Jesus, if it's in your home group, if it's at your home kitchen table, if it's in this room, wherever it is, what could Jesus do when they intersect Intersect. His life. What Jesus did for you, he can do from someone else. Let your story be told. Believe for a harvest and ask your plus one. Begin to believe that God wants to turn their life around like he turned your life around. There is no more likely time than Easter that people come to church. No more. In fact, It's up to four times more likely if you invite someone. Doesn't mean they will, but it's four times more likely. But statistics of people, of followers of Jesus that ask someone is less than 10%. What if if each of us took that upon us to ask somebody to come to Easter next week? Because your story can change someone's destiny here's the result of her story many of the samaritans from town believed in that woman because or believed in jesus because of the woman's testimony because of this woman's testimony he told me everything i ever did so when the samaritans came to him they urged him to stay with them and jesus stayed two days and because of his words many more became believers. Some became a believer in the moment. Look what Jesus did in my life. Others came and said, I'm going to come see what's happening and that where she said about Jesus. And then some more came to Jesus. And there are some others, we don't know what they did. But in every moment of your life, in every invitation that you give, when you tell your story, some will respond immediately. Some will respond next Sunday. And some will respond along the way. We don't always know. But your story in every environment has power. Your story can change someone's destiny. Your invitation can change someone's destiny in a moment. It could change them next Sunday or another Sunday when you invite them. It could change them down the road. But you begin to believe that Jesus has done in your life, He wants to do in their life. He wants to see their generation change. He wants to see them walk in hope. He wants to see them walk in forgiveness. He wants to see them walk with a fullness of life. And with the hope and the joy that only Jesus can bring the story your story can change someone's destiny many people came because of her story there can be see the people people have heard so many weird and strange things about Jesus and about the church and your story gives them pause to reconsider what they've read about what they've thought And so many times some people have come to this church and they're like, whoa, I didn't know that this was what church was about. I thought it was this or I thought you were all like that. And you're actually relatively normal. And I've experienced something in this room. And we've had people do this in the presence of Jesus where they just give their lives to Jesus again and again. And some of you right now are probably in that moment because there can be all kinds of fake news about Jesus and Christ followers, but your story is powerful. They came because of her story and her invitation. They listened, some believed, some waited, but get them to Jesus. Whether it's through your personal invitation or your personal story, your plus one needs to know Jesus. That's why we're doing two services next week, 9.30 and 11.30 because I'm absolutely confident that so many of you are gonna take the challenge of risking, which I don't know what the risk is in Canada. The risk is not that you're gonna go to jail. The risk is not that someone's gonna beat you. The risk is not, the risk is they might look at you like, you're one of them. Yes. Oh, I never knew. I've always wondered. Yeah, I'll come. That's the risk. The downside is they say, no. We want to have two services next week because we want to help you reach your friend. We want to help you reach your neighbor. We want to help you reach your son, your daughter, your grandparents, your grandson, your neighbor, your co-worker. So we're making more opportunities so that people can hear the ultimate story, the story of Jesus and we want you to have that opportunity to invite someone who is far from God who has wandered away from God to not only will because not only will a bunch of people get saved and and uh, be reconciled to God but you've also got to realize that there'll be a moment you'll have a moment where you'll say I found what my life is all about and it's this when you're sitting beside someone and you hear their hand go up as they say I'm giving my life to Jesus it's my day i know this person i don't know what is happening in the room right now, but I got to surrender my life to Jesus. And in that moment, your life might be going through all kinds of hell. Your life might be in all kinds of disarray. But when you begin to understand that what your life is all about is helping people find their way to Jesus and you see it happening because you were willing to risk and let your story be told, your story can change someone's destiny. Your problems will seem so insignificant and you're going to find a fulfillment that comes from making a difference in someone else's life of those close to you. I invite you to stand and then we're going to close out. Every week at Horizon Church, we give an opportunity for people to give their lives to Jesus. Or maybe you've walked with Jesus at one time, but you've wandered away from him and you recognize I need to get right with God. Or you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life. And where the simple thing that we call ABC, where I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came and died for me to pay the price for my sin. And then I confess that he's the forgiver and leader of my life. ABC. It's a simple thing that will absolutely change. The direction of your life. And with every head bow, just bow your head around the room, just to get privacy. We're not going to call you up. All I want to do is agree with you in a moment and pray for you, so that you can pass from death to life. If that's you, say, Pastor, I need to return. I need to give my life to Jesus this morning for the very first time. Put your hand up, and we're going to pray for you. On my left, your right. Down the middle. On my right, your left. then this morning i'm just going to ask you to pray because i know probably many of you or at least some of you would not have a plus one in your life somebody who you don't know jesus i'm going to ask you just to take 30 seconds and ask the holy spirit who can i ask this week to come that their destiny could be different because of my story just take a moment holy spirit who can i ask going to ask you to do now is actually do that today or if you're seeing them at work tomorrow do it tomorrow we have three eyes that we talk about excuse me three eyes intercede that means begin to pray for them invest in her life like it should be all the time, not just on uh, Easter and Christmas. Invest in her life and then invite, just invite them. We have invitation cards, which I think will be handed out at the back as you go, that make it super easy for you. There's a plus one sign out there if you wanna write their first name down, because we're gonna be praying over that this Tuesday at our corporate prayer time. Text them, call them, send a carrier pigeon, put out a smoke signal, do something. Invite somebody and see what Jesus would do through your story to alter their destiny. And if you have nobody that you can ask, we can still use help, as Pastor Daniel talked about last week, to get the house ready. We need greeters. We need uh, more because we're doing two services. We need ushers. We need parking lot people. We need all kinds of of help. So you can uh, do that at the Welcome Center or you can go to horizonfam.ca. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that our story Can change someone's destiny lord and lord i pray that our hearts will be gripped with the fact that people will spend an eternity without you unless they come to know you and so lord i pray that you would help us to be bold help us to be uh, take a risk and see what you would do lord that we would hear the story after story literally dozens of people that next week will pass from death to life as they respond to the gospel your name we pray amen and amen god bless you as you go go sign up